What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this on Monday night, the night before the Memphis Grizzlies have a back-to-back home game between the Orlando Magic and then also the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, so yeah, have to record on Monday night since I go live on Wednesdays and they play tomorrow night. But you know what? I also had to accommodate for a very big-time guest I have on the show, but first... Before I introduce it, let me tell you, I can keep in touch with the show and with the blog. So GBB Live is the flagship podcast for Bluff City Media's Memphis Grizzlies, Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. So on the same feed, even though you probably notice everything all switched, the name and the logo and all that. So that's all cool. Uh, but yeah, make sure you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, however you get your podcast. You can find the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network and GBB Live right there. And Grizzly Bear Blues is now on BluffCityMedia.co, and you can find all of our Grizzly content there. All of our game content is free, and for insider content from me and my special guest, become a Bluff City Media Insider for just $5 a month for the best premium Memphis Grizzlies, Memphis Tigers, and all things Memphis sports. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than the Stats Sensei himself, Stats S-A-C, uh, A-K, I, I, I'm out of nicknames. Let me just go ahead and introduce him. Sean Coleman, what's up, man? How's it going? Man, doing all right. It's uh, nice to uh, talk some Grizzlies basketball and us getting back to our winning ways. Uh, we've uh, we've definitely taken advantage of a, of a nice part of the schedule, but hey, I, I don't think that that in any way should water down uh, some of the success that we're seeing. But uh, plenty of good things to talk about. And Parker, the best part about it is anytime I get to talk sports with you, it makes the night better. So good seeing you, sir. I appreciate that big time. Always great talking hoops with you, Sean. And, you know, I want to address the, the soft part of the schedule stuff here. Because, you know, coming into March, okay, I can't say much about soft schedule. They played the Houston Rockets twice. But this was supposed to be a rather difficult to modest part of the schedule. You had the Warriors twice, Dallas three times. You have uh, Atlanta on the road. Everyone thought Atlanta was going to be pretty good, but they are the definition of, as MJF would say, mid. Uh, you had the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, and Denver Nuggets on the road, who they did lose to on the road. But, you know, yes, the, the Mavericks didn't have Luka for any of those games. Ky- they, the Mavericks also didn't have Kyrie for two of those games. Golden State had everyone except for Wiggins, but the Memphis Grizzlies did not have John Morant, Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, three rotation players, two starters, one of them being their best player, one of them probably being one of the most low-key important players on the team. So yeah, cool. They 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 had opponents there's a little injury luck with opponents but also the grizzlies weren't exactly the luckiest either when it came when it comes to absences but you know what six straight wins as of this recording and nine of the last 10 as of this recording that's some good stuff sean coleman absolutely and and this is where you start to get into what you where you need to put you know, the relevance of what has led to the Grizzlies having, you know, the, their best stretcher. You know, I put a stat out there earlier on Twitter that over the past 10 games, the Grizzlies have made 153s, the most threes that they've ever made over a 10-game stretch. That's also coincided 
with them having the highest true shooting percentage that they've ever had. In the month of March, Parker, we're top five or we're pushing top five in terms of half-court offense, effective field goal percentage, and true shooting percentage. The two general concerns of this offense were shot selection and half-court offense. We absolutely are excelling in those areas. And I think that the biggest thing of all to notice is the three players that you mentioned, John Morant, Brandon Clark, and Steven Adams. What's the part of their games that they all have in common that they don't really feature that often, at least to a high level? It's shooting from distance. No offense to John Morant. He's hot. He's cold at times when it comes to that. So I think that when we talk about sustainability and significance of what we've seen so far from the Grizzlies, it's the fact that they have adjusted to featuring the strengths of the roster that they had at their disposal, which was shooting the three, Tyus, Jaron, Dez, Luke Kennard, others. We've seen Roddy and Santi do real well. But without those guys, the Grizz have done two things very well offensively. They've featured the hell out of Jaron Jackson Jr., and they've become much more resourceful at having success from three. Now, the Grizzlies are not going to average 15 threes a game moving forward. They're likely not going to shoot 39%. They're likely not going to have a true shooting percentage above 60%. But the big key is, is that they've built the confidence in knowing they can at least perform at that level for certain stretches of games, even against quality competition. That's the big thing that stands out. Again, one of my favorite stats that I like to throw out there, the Grizzlies are now 64-11 and 11 when they simply shoot 35% or better from three. When you're featuring Tyus, Jaron, Dez, Kennard, and others, you should be able to get there pretty consistently. And that's what comes away from this. If the Grizzlies can be able to feature the three in a more reliable fashion in crucial times of the game consistently, that's what should come from this stretch. That's the big thing that we're hoping is sustainable. And that's what's going to be a big key for us surviving and thriving in the playoffs. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that the absence is, the absence in particular, of John Morant, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark. What play type do those three have in common? Or maybe just they have together. It's the pick and roll. Absolutely. And that's something the Grizzlies feature a lot. And without two of your most prominent rollers and then probably arguably one of the most heavily used players in the pick and roll, Taylor Jenkins and his, and his team have had to adapt. And in that, you know, you're mentioning – the success of leaning on guys like Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Luke Kennard. Is there coming? Jalen Jenkins is coming up with more uh, diverse sets to generate those looks. Sometimes it's just free feeding the hand and just getting the ball to Jaron Jackson Jr. in the post. Jaron's been used as a screener, which also the thing with Jaron that's nice is he could be used as both a popper and a roller. And usually when he pops, he has a mismatch and he gets driving to his left and you, you know how that's been going here lately. And then they've been running a lot more shooting actions for Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard. I've been loving the stuff they've been doing running Luke Kennard off screens. And when you mix and pair all that with how Tyus Jones can operate in the pick and roll as a facilitator or as a guard getting to his floater, I mean, th this it, I don't think it's any coincidence, Sean, that you're throwing out all these numbers about their effective field goal percentage their true shooting percentage, and their half-court offense, and the fact, too, that they're spicing up their offense a little bit more. They're deviating away from going 
heavy pick and roll. And they are trying to go to the strengths of guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain and Tyus Jones and Luke Kennard to adapt to life without guys like Steven Adams, John Morant, who's back now, or Brandon Clark. So that's kind yeah. of how I see it. Well, and yeah, and then the high usage of, of John Morant being eliminated from the equation, what do you do with that? You don't have a guy who's going to be able to be as effective as John Morant at that high of a usage. It just speaks to how special John Morant is when he's on the court. So how do you overcome that? Well, it's you move the ball more. 13 to 15 more passes per game in the month of March compared to previously. What has that led to? It's led to two more assists per game. Nearly seven more points off assists. They're averaging 70 points off of assists per game in March, where it was 63 in February. And the biggest key of all, where they're getting the biggest boost of all, Parker, when it comes to their three-point shooting, they are shooting 5% better in March than they were in February. Two and a half more catch-and-shoot threes in the month of March versus February. What does all that lead to? It leads to that consistency that we're talking about. And also, without John Morant being the guy to go into the paint and be able to produce, they're able to sit there and counter to allow for them to be able to do it. So that's the other big thing that comes from this. Now that we've gotten this consistency, this confidence in finding these counters and passing the basketball, if teams are going to collapse more often to stop John Morant in the paint, we're much more suited to be able to hit those counters and find the open three to make teams pay from distance. Absolutely. And I really want to you know, use this show and – also, too, I know you know you've been talking with me about an idea, ideas that you're you're cooking up on this particular player. A player that's been a real big catalyst in all this is Desmond Bain because he's been really potent at a ton of different levels here for the Memphis Grizzlies, especially in the month of March. I mean, I, I'm looking at his basketball reference page right now, and he's averaging 21.4 points, 5.1 rebounds, and 4.6 assists on 50. 0.9% shooting from the field, 39.8% from three, 85.4% from the free throw line. But anyways, he, he's putting together arguably one of the best months of his career. And it's going to sound pretty outlandish. I mean, la- if you looked at last month, I mean, or last March, I mean, he went berserk. He shot 52% from three for the entire month of March on 50% shooting. But that that's kind of what I want to get into here because, you know, he's averaging – He's averaging like the third most points per game in a month. Uh, like you can count that October, November stretch. I kind of c- combined those into like one month. He didn't get to play the whole month of November, and then October is already really short. But he's also averaging the second most assist that he has ever had. But the thing that really stands out to me that's really uh, just encapsulating everything with Dez's game thus far in this month is the fact that he's maintaining efficiency even though his three-point shot is not exactly on. Yes, thirty-eight or 39.8% from three is a really good mark for a lot of players, but for Destin Bain, I mean, he's shooting almost 43% through his first three seasons of his NBA career, but still maintaining his efficiency to really capturing the downhill Des, that the moniker that he's been dubbed lately. It's just capturing his growth as a driver, as a finisher in the paint, and even a little bit as a play. And it's also capturing that as a playmaker too, you know, doing a lot of what John Morant does, driving, absorbing the attention from the defense and kicking it out at the last possible split second. Once the defense is totally shifted, all focused on Desmond Payne, kicking it out to guys like Dylan Brooks, Luke Kennard, 
Tyus Jones, kicking out to those guys for threes, generating open looks, generating quality looks. And it's just one of those things. He's just clicking at the right time. I mean, it's March. Playoffs are starting here in less than a month. And, you know, it's been it's been an up-and-down year for Desmond Bain, you know, looking like an all-NBA shooting guard to start the season. And he has that toe injury, and he's trying to, like, work his way back into it. But, I mean, now it, it really feels like Desmond Bain is playing some of his best basketball, but also with room to even progress to the mean. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, we'll start with a few things there. You know, first off, you talk about this being the second highest, you know, assist, you know, production that he's had in the month in his career. Well, we had that stretch at the early part of Jaw being out when he was out due to the suspension. We saw Dez get those seven rebounds, seven assists for like four or five straight games. He's mm-hmm. consistently picked up that part of his game. But the key figure that I want to hit on here, Parker, is that you said that in March of this year, in March of last year, Dez was averaging about the same number of points, right? But last year, it was because he was shooting 52% from three. This mm-hmm. year, it's because of the fact that he's getting to the rim. And the numbers overall back that up. During his rookie year, only 46% of his shots were from two. 54% were from three. Two years later, 56% of his shots are two-point shots. 44% are threes. What is that? Why is Desmond Bain, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, shooting more often from two? Well, it's because teams now know where he does well at the three-point line. It's him countering more confidently. That's allowing for him to be good. The other thing that stands out is, is that 70% of his two-point shots and 90% of his three-point shots in his rookie year were assisted. This year, 50% of his two-point shots are assisted. 70% of his three-point shots are assisted. The reason I bring that up is because that shows that he has made significant strides in creating his own shot. So the resourcefulness of Desmond Bain is starting to show. And the real big key, the exciting thing about it is this. Put a stat out there the other day. Desmond Bain now has scored 25-plus points 30 times in his career. The only other Grizzlies to do that before their 200th career game or within their first 200 career games are John Morant, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, and Pau Gasol. I think that those are three of your top five scores in Grizzlies franchise history. The other is Zach Randolph. But what's the thing that you look at with Abdul-Rahim, then Pau, then Zach Randolph? They were all in different eras of the Grizzlies. Now, right. if you John Morant and Desmond Bain as being two of those five best scorers in franchise history, this is the first time we've had two of them playing together. And that's what stands out. So the point that I'm getting at is, is that with this resourcefulness that we're seeing from Desmond Bain, if the three is not there, he still can maintain the same amount of scoring. And we're really starting to see, as special as John Morant is, the best scoring talent in franchise history, he's complimented by one of the best in franchise history on his own right in Desmond Bain. Yeah, I will ask you this too. Like, how much do you weigh with, with, with something like that? I'm not trying to take away anything from Desmond Baines' score, especially since we're dropping a whole podcast on how well he's been playing. How much do you weigh talent versus era? Like, in the fact that, like, Desmond Bain, he's become such a prolific short, sh- prolific score because he's one of the best shooters, like, one of the best five shooters in the NBA. How, well, how much do you weigh the scoring talent versus – his three-point accuracy. Well, the fact is, is that he's evolved, 
right? Because you, right. See, you, you look at shooters who have done really well. You know, the shooter that Desmond Bain compares most frequently to to start his career is Duncan Robinson. We saw a few years ago how special Duncan Robinson was from three, and he was actually more productive from three. He's actually possibly the only other player who's been more productive to start his career than Desmond Bain was. But where's Duncan Robinson now after his five-year $90 million contract, Parker? Don't bring this up, man. This is like kind of disheartening for somebody who's wanting to bring Duncan Robinson to Memphis. This is very, very di- – but also, too, I'm totally healed. They got – Desmond Bain, and they got Luke Kennard. But I'll let you answer the rhetorical question that you asked me. We'll bring up Luke Kennard as well. Luke Kennard is excelling off the bench. But what has Des done in his first few years in the league that for a lot of shooters you don't see? He's He's evolved. He's evolved the counters in his game. As the league is adjusted to him, and made it harder for him to be able to consistently get the threes that he's looking at, which we're seeing it's tougher for him to hit that three-point shot, he's still being able to get his points because of what he can do off the dribble, because of the footwork that he has, because of the confidence that he has to get to the rim, the three-level scoring ability. And even if that doesn't work out, he's finding different ways through the uptick and assists as well. So when we're talking about it being his shooting, along with his talent, the shooting certainly is there. But what separates Dez from these other elite shooters that we see early in their careers who kind of fizzle out a bit, it's the unique ability for him to be able to adapt his game and counter to be a much more resourceful scorer than just a shooting specialist. Absolutely. I will ask you this too, because it's something that like, like I'm trying to like, I guess balance both because you got, you can't have it both ways. A lot of the times, like, I'm loving this downhill Des, the fact that he's being a lot more aggressive going to the basket. He's being a lot more methodical, weaving his way inside the half-court offense. How he can sometimes just look like Derrick Henry when he's on the drive, Sean. I know you as a Titans fan, you love to see that. You know, when he's just going in full freight train and transition, and then he just, just shifts the gears, hits that Euro, Finishes almost like that, you know, that little little scoop there, and then the right hand fillet. Like I love when Dustin Bain does that, but also it's one of those things too where I'm just like, I dead gone. This dude's a top five shooter. I want him shooting. I want him shooting nine, ten threes a game, man. Like that. That's what I would love to see, because you know I was looking at it last year, and he kind of showed the potential of like what he can do with more three point shooting opportunities in that Minnesota series. Because I want to say he shot like nine three. Like I want to say he shot nine threes a game against Minnesota, and in those nine games, and also too, I I wish I can find this to research it, but it, it's somewhere off in the Grizzly Bear Blues domain that I can't find, so I can't go back to this. But Desmond Bain has shown the ability to maintain accuracy while increasing his volume. And, you know, last year, I want to say he was, like, outside the top 25 in three-point attempts per game while being in the top – wasn't he second in three-point percentage last year behind Kennard? Like, I was just like, man, imagine if this guy can be top five in both in both attempts per game and and percentage. But at the same time, though, his, his evolution as a driver – 
as a passer, like I dove into last week on Bluff City Media for our insiders. He's becoming a dime dropper. He's becoming a guy that can get to the rim. Got to kind of got to have it both ways. Sean, where do you kind of stand on this? The whole like, oh, Desmond Bain needs to shoot more threes, but also like tapping into his growth as a two point scorer. Where do you stand here? Well, again, it, it, it goes back to I don't want to overuse the word evolution, but with evolution comes the ability to be able to contribute in multiple ways. Right now, Desmond Bain knows that the three point shooting is being taken care of by Luke Kennard. He also mm-hmm. knows that when Jama ran out, somebody's got to be able to get the balance going by getting to the rim and driving through the lane. That's the role that he's taking on. We know that Jaron Jackson Jr. can do the same thing about being featured inside and being featured outside. So that's where I stand with it. You know, we talk about it, the Grizzlies when it comes to their core three on offense right now, Morant, Dez, and Jaron Jackson Jr. The biggest overall exciting thing about them now is there's multiple versions of each player when you need them on offense. Jaron can mm-hmm. dominate inside and be a unique big shooting outside. Des Bain can be one of the best shooters in the league, but also a secondary dribble drive option. John Morant can be one of the best scorers in the league, but also one of the best playmakers. That's where it stands out. So I'm fine with Des, and as his time goes on, by trusting how good of a shot selector he is, you trust his intelligence to know when to feature with that part of his game. He's going to get better at that. So overall, I think that it's a definite, you know, great aspect of Desmond Bain's game that now more than ever, he can be a different version of himself when a certain version is needed the most and he can excel, which we've seen him do with and without John Moran over the past few weeks. Absolutely. And I guess one thing I'm excited with all this, I like the how you I like the point you brought up about there's there are different versions of each of the big three when when it's needed. You know, you have John Morant, the ISO pick and roll guy, the guy that the point guard that gets out in transition. Also, the point guard that can really set up his teammates, like just as easily as he can draw have like 30 to 35 points, he can easily go get 12 to 15 assists as well. I mean, Desmond Bain attacking as a scorer, but also a just being the floor spacer whenever the defenses do collapse on John Morant. It's, there's Desmond Bain ready to fire. They can run him off actions. And Jaron Jackson Jr., guy in the post, attack mismatch, mismatches from the perimeter, shoot the three ball. But I think the real thing with Des, and I'm excited about his growth, is just how he attacks these counters in the playoffs. Because you see where teams try to run – they. A big part of him also not taking as many threes as teams are just running him off the line. You know, he's not a surprise anymore. He he's a bona fide elite scoring shooting guard. We'll say it. He's a top shooter. He's evolved as a playmaker. He's evolved as an interior scorer. He he's reaching towards being an elite scorer. And you know what's going to happen when teams run him off the line? How is he going to counter that in a playoff situation? Where are we going to see his playmaking and his, and also to his driving, his mid range shooting? One thing I immediately just thought of, kind of just squirreling in my own take here. What's wild, Sean? Do you know what's absolutely wild about what Desmond Bain is doing as a two point scorer this month? What? What is that? It's without Steven Adams. Mm hmm. Just imagine what happens. This isn't, I I hope Fanaki's stats doesn't come at me for this. This isn't Steven Adams slander. 
It's just that what what happens when Steven Adams gets back because of their synergy of handoffs, of cuts, and how much of a good how much of a good screener Steven Adams is. All that space created. What is that going to do for Desmond Bain as an offensive player? He's putting together his best month of his career as a two point scorer, as a driver, as a playmaker. And it goes back to what I said earlier. There's still room for growth. Still room, still room for that to all be amplified. And I, I'm just, ex- I'm very excited in a tree to see how he now attacks playoff defenses is with this level of scoring prowess in his bag. Because last year, like he was a good scorer, and in that Warrior series, he was hurt. So like his effectiveness kind of went down the drain after the Minnesota series, and also too, it's the difference of like Golden State was like, see Minnesota was like, we're not letting John Morant beat us. Golden State was like, we're not going to let Desmond Bain or Brandon Clark beat us. So I'm excited to see all this. I'm excited to see what kind of chess moves uh, Desmond Bain throws out there in the playoffs, man. And and we add this to the thing is, and that, and I really hope Funaki stats. By the way, who is phenomenal guy, just. Fun- Phenomenal Twitter account. Gosh, yes. Great, great, great guy and just excellent work on his end. I'll tell you what I'm even more excited about. Us being okay if we don't have Steven Adams. And the reason that I say that is because we don't know what his health is going to be like when he comes back. You know, he's he's been out a month longer than many had anticipated. And even if he does come back healthy, we've already seen a series now, Stephen Adams is better this year, I think, overall than he was last year, especially defensively. But we've already seen a series in Minnesota where he wasn't on the court. So I know what you're saying when it, like, when Stephen Adams comes back. But this month and then that Minnesota series, we've got proof that Desmond Bain doesn't necessarily need Stephen Adams to be able to cook, to be able to succeed. But that also is the encouraging sign. We're talking about what Desmond Bain can do in his two-point game, especially when it's needed more to balance out the offense without Steven Adams and John Moran. We already know what he can do as a shooter in big moments. One, arguably the best start to a career for an actual shooter on the road in NBA history. And last year, just absolutely thrived on the road against Minnesota and at times against Golden State. So now you add the two-point confidence, you add the three-point three-level scoring with Desmond Bain. It's great to see. So I get your point. When it comes uh, when it comes to the superstar and support that is Stephen Adams, I would love to see what Desmond Bain and John Morant and others can do with him. But even if we don't get him back, what we've seen this month again, the biggest overall thing to me that has come from this month are two things. Number one, with what everybody was saying about how important Stephen Adams is to us. We've proven to ourselves we can win without him. And the other thing is, of course, being able to close out games. But if we can get Steven Adam back, that's great. Hopefully we do. But if we don't, we've got plenty of proof that we can still thrive by being able to balance out the three-point shot and getting inside when it comes to having success. Sean, I don't know what makes me more happy. Your points there? Or the fact that you said cook. The fact that he's still cooking. Even though, even without Steven Adams, man. But yeah, no. And there, there's, you know, two more things I really want to ask you here on this show before we close. But one of those is how this all helps Ja? Because, you know, I wrote about it with their late game offensive woes. The fact that there is 
a bit of an over-reliance on John Morant. You know, that's not a slight at job because he's produced some very special moments in those clutch time moments, and he had really evolved, and he's really evolved into one of the most potent late-game weapons in the game. But, you know, teams, they figure it out. You know, you got to, like I said, you got to spice it up a little bit. I think one of those things is Dustin Bain. And I think it's one of those things where it's not necessarily less John Morant, but you're putting John Morant in different spots to succeed. You can have Desmond Bain run an offense. You can have John Morant attack from the wing, attack as a cutter, or as, you know, let's say they're running a, a pick and roll sequence with Desmond Bain and John Morant is on the op- on the weak side corner. When that pass gets fired to the opposite side, the defense shifts. That's the driving lane for Ja, and it's a wide open pathway for him to just kind of just smoothly get into the paint smoothly get a bucket um i i just think there's a lot of potential there to really to really fully capture because one could argue that desmond bain's assist numbers are inflated because a lot of the month was out john morant and somebody had to take on the playmaking responsibility but i think right now the chance to even tap into it a little bit more i'm not saying like he's gonna average six assists a game or anything but you know this is a great way to really maximize the fit with John Morant and Desmond Bain and it's because of Desmond Bain's growth as a driver and as a playmaker what are your thoughts Sean and it's also going to make John Rand even harder to defend, right? I agree. You yep. can use him more off ball more. You can use him as, um, you know, that baseline cutter to allow for him to be able to find good matchups. We've even seen the Grizzlies post up jaw a little bit over his first few games back. You know, that's been a rare but, you know, intriguing aspect of things. But where I really think it helps out John Morant Parker is it helps him be able to, in a quicker sense, identify what he needs to be the elite score, or the elite playmaker. Because if teams are going to start respecting our three-point shooting more, that means they're going to leave one player on John Morant more often. And I understand that there are some elite guys out there, but you're not often going to stay in front of John Morant. So it's going to make it easier on him to score. If they still clog the paint, it's going to make it easier for Jock because now he has more confidence than ever of getting the ball out to our shooters, and we've seen many times, I know that Luke uh, Luka Doncic, I believe earlier tonight, had just an unbelievable pass from the corner to the other corner from three. We've seen John Morant make, not necessarily passes to that level, but we have seen John Morant make very, very difficult passes time and time again to set up a three-point shot. So I think that the emergence of Desmond Bain even more is going to make it easier for John Morant to quickly identify what role do I take, the elite scorer or elite playmaker, and that's going to make him even harder to defend. And the biggest thing of all, if John Morant can get into a quicker mode of knowing which role he wants to take on, that increases the likelihood we're going to find the best shot possible more frequently, which is going to be needed in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's going to be one of those things, too, where like that could also be determined mid-game, how quickly he adjusts to that mid-game. Because let's say he's cooking as a score and teams are going to throw traps at him or stuff or stuff like that. You can put Desmond Bain on the ball. And you can. And we've seen what he can do. We've seen what he can cook. And, you know, the attention towards Jaw could open up looks for Desmond Bain to attack defenses as a 
guy that's attacking closeouts or as a three-point shooter or, again, attacking closeouts as a playmaker. So there's a whole lot. I, I've been thrown out this word a lot because, you know, I want to see the Grizzlies continue to diversify their offense because they have the weapons to do so now, Sean. Not just because of acquisitions of guys like of guys like Luke Kennard or what or what people like Santi Aldama can do, but it's the growth of their big three, as we've said earlier. The growth of Jaron Jackson Jr. and his efficiency. How John Moran just continues to balance his elite scoring with his elite playmaking. And how Dustin Bang continues to pair his elite three-point shooting with growth as a driver and as a playmaker. Keep tapping into that. And I think it's gonna it's gonna be something that really helps all elevate the Grizzlies offense, whether it's in the half court or overall or in the postseason. Continue to tap into that. And I think one of the two guys that it starts with, I say one of the two because the other guys, Jaron Jackson Jr., tapping it like that, tapping into him as a main feature option. I mean, man. That past like two weeks of basketball was just beautiful. It was just so much fun to watch him dominate. He treated, he treated guys like Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, Jabari Smith Jr., Traymond Green. He treated them or Kavon Looney. He treated them like they were JV basketball players, and he was a five star. He treat all right. How familiar are you with like mixtapes, like hoop mixtapes from high school players? Mixtapes? YouTube videos. YouTube, YouTube videos of like high school prospects. YouTube? <sighs> <laughs> he he looks like he looks like like Andrew like Andrew Wiggins in his mixtape days. Like just like being able to overpower anybody to the rim and nobody's gonna have anything to do to stop him. Yeah, I'm not all- saying like specifically Andrew Wiggins, I'm just saying I'm not using Andrew Wiggins as a comparison for play style. I'm using it as a comparison for dominance. Bottom line, he dominated. Anyways, back to Desmond Bain. It also starts with Desmond Bain and just how he's become more of a three-level threat offensively. Just continue to spice it up because it could pay off big time in the playoffs. So I think that the best way to put it with Jaron Jackson Jr. is he's no longer an offensive player that surprises himself when he can have flashes of dominance. We're seeing a Jaron Jackson Jr. over the past three weeks that without a shadow of a doubt, he has no doubt he is the damn best player on the court or the most dominant player on the court. Um, it's the damn it, I'm dominance, you know, uh, mindset. For, for forgive, my, forgive my French there. But uh, that that's the best way to describe it. And, yes, I, I watch mixtape in my time. The Professor, probably my favorite mixtape guy of all time. So that guy's ball handling is awesome. Back to the Grizzlies. Yes. Yeah. Back to the Grizzlies. Back to Destin Bain. Let me close the show with this. Sean, I don't want to spoil anything for your piece. Yeah. You got to be an insider to tune into it. But Destin Bain is on his way to two big milestones mm-hmm. here in the, I would say, in the coming week. Uh, knock on wood all over the place. But he is currently at. I'm trying to wait. I was I got off track. All right, here we go. I'm trying to find his totals here. Okay, Desmond Bain is at 196 games played, so he's four games away from 200. By the time this episode is live, it'll be 197. Probably by the time you're listening, and it'll be 198 again. Knock on wood. But he's also at 493 three pointers. Um, he 
there there's a bunch of different company that he'll be joining if he hits 500 threes within his first 200 games of his career but i'll let sean handle all that but i sean am asking you one i'll ask you this part two part question one for for the special piece, are you going to use that Hall of Fame comparison? I'm begging you to use. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and we'll, we'll go ahead. We're we're, we're we're going to make this statement now. Say it now. Say it now. We got engagement to make. I'm going to shout my shit on this. 200 games into their career, Desmond Bain is clearly a more productive offensive player than Clay Thompson. Through their first three seasons. Desmond Bain is a better offensive player than Clay Thompson. And the key is this. You can count to four all that you want to. But I'm here to tell you all day long, the numbers suggest from three, scoring overall, outside of scoring, what have you. Now, to be fair, Clay's big jump was in his fourth season, but Desmond Bain is showing a bit more confidence that he'll make that fourth year leap as well. But the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways from the pieces we're coming up on 200 career games and the end of his third season, Desmond Bain is a better offensive player up to this point of his career than Clay Thompson was. I got to end. I got to end the show on that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not the big hot take guy. I will. I, will I know you're not. I'm not saying he's a better overall player because Clay Thompson's defense did I think make him a better overall player? And this is also not meant in any way, shape, or form to diss Clay Thompson. My point is, though, the fact that Desmond Bain, we can honestly say that statement and back it up with numbers this far in his career, that is a huge compliment to the Grizzlies coaching staff, Des, and to the roster. But yes, yes, we are continuing to see validation. We saw it at 150 career games. Last year or towards the, you know, at the end of last year, we're seeing it now. Yes, when it comes to offensive games, Desmond Bain is actually doing better than Clay Thompson was it, at this mutual point of their careers. Yeah. And I will say, too, like, obviously, you know, there's era comparison, all that kind of stuff. But also, too, I mean, and Clay Thompson still made a pretty significant jump year one. I mean, year one, he immediately came out as a really potent three-point shooter. And then, I mean, he's arguably the second greatest shooter of all time. I'll, you know, I don't want Warriors fans to come at us here or anything. But like you said, but like you said. Please do. If you, if you are a Warriors fan listening to this episode, please come after us when we tell you that to start their careers, Desmond Bain is a better offensive player than Klay Thompson. Because I can tell you straightforward, if you disagree with that, you're wrong. So come yeah, no, I, I'm with you there, but yeah, you know, like Clay, Clay has his advantages on uh, the defensive end. One thing you probably didn't mention is that Desmond Bain's a better playmaker as well, but that kind of falls in line with the offense as well. But yeah, no, but we're not like you said, you're not using it to diss Clay. It's more of a testament to Desmond Bain's growth as an offensive player, as a franchise cornerstone player. Somebody who was kept out of trade talks for a guy like Kevin Durant. He's one of the 15 greatest players of all time. Probably one of the five greatest players this season. And so. in this era of basketball, the needed piece that teams have to have to win titles. That's the Bingo. other thing. 
stands out about it is the development of Desmond Bain into a Clay Thompson type player on offense. That's what teams have to have in order to be able to win titles. That just consistent, reliable, not only high level shooter, but elite, elite score, but elite, elite shooter. That's the biggest takeaway. Having that type of guy, especially to compliment John Ramp's style of play, this is the exact type of player we needed to compliment Jaw to truly allow for our core to be a contender for many years to come. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you're kind of looking at it, you know, like you said, recent NBA champions, you know, Golden State, like Clay, like Clay's that elite shooter that that is the the Robin to the star point guard or the star player's Batman. Uh, Milwaukee, Chris Middleton, you know, the multifaceted offensive player who's a secondary playmaker and a secondary go-to scorer. Uh, Toronto and Cleveland, kind of anomalies because they weren't kind of built in that similar structure. But, like, it is also because in Toronto, Kawhi was, like, prime Jordan in that that playoffs. And LeBron's LeBron. San Antonio Spurs, another one one with the San Antonio Spurs. But, again, multifaceted offensive players with three-level scoring, with secondary playmaking, with ability to run the offensive pinches, Manu Ginobili. So, yeah, like Desmond Baines really evolved into that kind of guy. And in the process, and, th- you know, this is a topic that we've probably touched on in past shows, excuse me, probably touched on in past shows and or past articles, but Desmond Bain has really changed the calculus of this team for the better, you know. Finally got the elite shooter. He's a per- he's a really he fits like a glove next to John Morant. And his growth has made him made made him an indispensable kind of person. You like you can't get rid of a guy like Desmond Bain, no matter no matter the uh, no matter the guy that's on the trade market. Like granted, you know, Kevin Durant would have been Kevin Durant we're not gonna get into at all. Kevin Durant wanna to go to Phoenix, but it's all good. Whatever. But but one thing I do want to get into that's so exciting about this, we talk about the offense, the offense, the offense of Jaw and Dez. Parker, who's your vote for defensive player of the year this year? You know, I have a very big guest to talk about this with next week. But I mean, we all know who it is. It's the Block Panther. Yeah. So so Jaron Jackson Jr., first team all defense last year, evolved. <laughs> Defense, into the Defensive Player of the Year this year, under contract for three more years. Desmond, yeah. extension eligible this summer. We're going to get him locked up for at least five more years. John Moran, we're going to have, we've got him locked in for the next five years. We've already seen Ja and Dez consistently be able to step up and show out against other elite offensive duos in the league and get the upper hand in those games. Now, you couple that with Jaron, not only being the best defender in the league this year, but also showing he can be an elite offensive big man. That's what's so great about all of this. The multifaceted ability for each of these core three to do so well. So it's going to be exciting. And the thing that I'll say is this, I I will admit in a heartbeat, Desmond Bain probably is my favorite player to do stat dives on. Number one, because he is just the perfect player that the Grizzlies have needed forever that they find. Forever. But number two, 
it's been so unexpected for him to compare it compared to John Jaron for him to develop as he has. So um, like I say, don't, don't mean to give away the big spoiler, but you know, Hey, you know, that's, that's what we do when we get to do it on podcasts, especially with great company like Parker. But my point is, is that over the next few days, there's going to be some history made and there's going to be a lot of accolades coming Dez's way and every bit of it is deserved. And Sean is going to get into all of that on bluffcitymedia.co. Become an insider for just $5 a month. A Starbucks cup of coffee for premium Memphis sports content, including your Memphis Grizzlies, as we get ready for what's shaping out to be an exciting stretch of playoff basketball here in the coming weeks. So, Sean, uh, that's about all the time we have on the show. Is there anything else you want to uh, you want to close the show with? Anything else you want to plug in? No, just a pleasure to talk with you. Um, it's it's been a fun uh, first month with Bluff City Media, enjoying a lot of a uh, good video content. Parker, you're absolutely doing great on your video content. I'm I'm glad to get back in the game a little bit when it comes to the the podcasting and all that. But uh, just just know that we've got a lot of great things coming. And the great thing about it is, is that we talk about the next evolution of what GBB was and now is. The thing is, is that we're talking about these different versions, the multifaceted, you know, games of Jaw, Bane, and Jaren. That's kind of like it is with GBB now. We have different ways of being able to show you exactly what needs to be shown when it comes to all different coverages of the Memphis Grizzlies, and it's exciting every time we get to do it. So, yeah, just for, you know, the, the way that I look at it is this. Give up one cup of coffee each month to be able to have great content to enjoy while you're having those cups of coffee for the rest of the month. That's the best way to look at it. And there's no better content when it comes to Memphis sports than Bluff City Media. You know, Sean actually told me before the show that if you become a Bluff City Media insider and you really miss out on that one Starbucks cup of coffee that month, Sean is inviting you over to his house for him to personally make you a cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure of when that was said, but but come on, <laughs> come on, come on. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, so you'll never be able to find me. But hey, if you do come, we'll have plenty of things to talk about when it comes to the Grizzlies. Parker, always a pleasure. Look forward to doing this with you as much as possible. Thank you so much every time that I get to do it. Absolutely. It's a blast. One of the best to talk Grizzlies basketball with. You can follow him on Twitter at stats S A C. You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flaca. And Guzzi Bear Blues now has a new Twitter handle, and then we lost a blue check mark as a result of that. But I mean, hey, we're all about to lose a blue check mark because of Elon Musk. So follow us on Twitter at BCM Grizzlies, Bluff City Media Grizzlies, obviously. Make sure you become a Bluff City Media insider at bluffcitymedia.co slash join. You can also read our game coverage for free as well. And make sure you are also subscribing to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, where you can find every single episode of GBB Live, Next Gen Podcast, Starting Five Podcast, Core Four Podcast, and Grizzly Bear Bets. And also shout out to Grizzly for joining us. They're going to have a post game show after every single game with Bluff City Media. We're getting their podcasts as well. Uh, I think it. I, I can't think of all the podcasts off the top of my head. But I think there's three of them. Uh, really good stuff. Got a bunch of talented, eager writers ready to give you all the best Grizzlies content possible. So stick with us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be lit. Until next time, see you soon. <laughs>